For those of us remaining in the room, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to the book of 1 John, different from the Gospel of John. It's right near the end of your Bible, 1 John chapter 3. And we'll be starting in verse 16. Here, a few pages turning. I'll give just a moment. This is the word of the Lord. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary thing it is uh, to hear from your word, to hear your word poured out for us. The truth of who you are, the truth, the truth of who we are in you declared through the Holy Scriptures. And so we come before you humbly at this time, Lord, just seeking to know you more, uh, prepared to offer our whole self to you. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds, we come to know and understand your word and indeed your will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask in response, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we, as your vessels, might offer grace on your behalf to the world. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. You know, it's quite a thing to, to know that you have kids watching you and uh, taking your life, your witness, your practices as a model. Uh, because sometimes we get it wrong, adults, uh, parents. Sometimes we, uh, we're a little too quick to anger. Sometimes our language doesn't match what our heart is. Sometimes we mess up. There's a song about this, Rodney Atkins, country song, Watching You, and uh, it, it speaks to some, uh, some true things. Uh, one of them is, you know, he uh, drops, uh, here's his son drop a bomb of a bad word, and uh, he asks his son, where, son, where, oh, my son, did you get this language from? And this has never happened to anyone in this room. That is only happening to Rodney Atkins, and, and, and he says, the son comes back and says, I've been watching you, and I've been learning from you, and I'm modeling my life, my language, my words after you. That's, that's tough. 
And then later on, you know, sometimes we get it right, parents. Sometimes we're, we're, we have a good, righteous, holy model for uh, others around us and for our kids. And we celebrate those moments of clarity, no matter how few and far between they are. And, the, and another point in the song is though there's a redemptive turn uh, as he's learning what it means to be a father and to be a model. He's, he sees his son praying. And he says, son, son, how, how do you know what it means to pray? How do you know to pray? And the son says, I've been watching you. And I've been paying attention to who you are and what you do and how you live. And, and now that I've seen you praying, I'm incorporating prayer into my life. What is it for us to see holy models in others and to be clear on that and to take those pieces of wisdom and practice to heart and to, and to aim our life in alignment with those good, holy, righteous things? And what is it to be clear when we're modeling our lives after things that are not of God? I think about my own relationship to my parents, and there are things that, that, that I come by naturally uh, from them. Some, some bad habits and some good habits, some things that were modeled for me. And I, I particularly take note of those things that were modeled to me that I don't want any part of. And I think that that is a moment of clarity, and I celebrate that as a moment of maybe potentially some maturity on my part when I was able to say, you know, I had these models, and some of those models fell short of what God is calling me to be, and so I'm going to adapt my life in this way. Here in this scripture, we hear this call, a call to love that's rooted in clarity that we know love because we know of Jesus. When, when we know Jesus, we know love. When we know love, we know Jesus. And, and, and that is a hard thing for us to wrestle with because we might think in our own human frailty that we knew of love or acknowledged what love was long before we knew Jesus. But the reality is until we knew Jesus, we didn't know what the fullness of love was. Because love is so much more profound than any simple uh, fleeting emotion. It is deep. It is true. It is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. John writes for us here, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Yes, Jesus died. Jesus laid down his life for us. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was humiliated. He carried his own cross, was nailed to it with a crown of thorns, blood running down his face. He died. He literally was resurrected, uh, was crucified so that he might be resurrected for our sake. We have to be confronted with that simple, profound truth from the beginning that Jesus indeed died. But that's not the end of it for us. We have to ask, why would he lay down his life? It says that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Uh, that, that, that is an offering language. He offered himself for us. Why would he do that? Why does that make 
any sense. Well, it only makes sense if we're initially confronted with our need, with our brokenness, with our emptiness, with our distance from God. Uh, On our own part, our incapacity, our lack of capability to be rightly aligned back with God. We have to be confronted with the truth of the fall The fall of humanity and the implications that it has for us. We live in a culture and a time where everybody, not everybody. We live in a culture and a time where many people will say, you're good just the way you are. Or you've always been uh, perfect from birth. That's a lie. That's not true. At the very beginning of human life, we are broken fallen creatures that are idol-making factories, constantly making ourselves into idols first and then things of this world into idols. We are fallen people. That scripture, verse 16 of John, uh, 1 John 3, makes no sense if we live in a frame of reference that we're pretty much good and everything is pretty much okay then why did Jesus have to die? It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to refer to to John Wesley here. John Wesley is the founder of Methodism. We are a a Methodist people. We're a global Methodist church, a people of the Methodist tradition. And and, and John Wesley speaks of original sin and understanding of uh, entire depravity and total corruption of humanity and these things that that, that are from our very, uh, very beginning, from our birth. And in John Wesley's sermon entitled, Upon the Lord's Supper on the Mount... Excuse me, upon the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, that's a difference. Lord's Supper and Lord's Sermon are different. So, upon the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Discourse the 10th, and here's what he says. This is in a sermon. I can just imagine little John Wesley, by the way, John Wesley's teeny tiny. Uh, Little John Wesley preaching this. He says, know thyself, see and feel thyself a sinner. Feel that thy inward parts are very wickedness, and that thou art altogether corrupt and abominable. Know and feel that thou art a poor, vile, guilty worm quivering over the great gulf. Who art thou? A sinner born to die. A leaf driven out before the wind, a vapor ready to vanish away, just appearing and then scattered into the air to be no more seen. Tell us how you really feel, Wesley. I mean, don't hold anything back, John. Uh, He's so incredibly clear here. That we as human beings are entirely depraved, totally corrupt, in need for a grand gesture from God to restore us and all things. That on our own part, we're incapable of being brought back into right relationship with God. This is the story of Scripture. 
as we turn through its pages, we see over and over again, God makes a way for the people of God to be restored in right relationship and the people attempt and for a season might do okay, but then inevitably over and over and over and over again, they fall short, we fall short, and we need a savior. Just a little later in worship, these students are going to answer their third question of the profession of faith. And it says, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church? And at that opening, do you confess Jesus as your Savior? And when we met and we talked together last weekend, the core essence that we have to be confronted with is if we are saying Jesus is our Savior, we are confessing that we need saving, that we need a Savior. We confess Jesus as Savior means we need saving and Jesus is the one to do it. And so when we hear that this is the model of love for us, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus would lay his life down for us, it's, it's, a, it's a wild thing for us to be confronted with. And it begins with an inner reflection and the whisper of the Spirit upon our lives saying, I have made a way for you in Jesus now, this is where it starts to, to get uh, a, a challenging for us because the way that was made was Jesus dying, was Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And some of you, as you read through Scripture, might be confronted with some dissonance here, this wondering, this, this challenge, like how does this make sense? What, what is it that God would sacrifice his son? This human sacrifice thing doesn't seem to quite resonate for my, who I believe God to be. Well, there's a few things that for us to lay out to, to frame this up properly. The first is that God is, again, human sacrifice. Now, that might not seem like a critical question for us in, in this day and age, but it was a superior question in, 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 uh, in the day of, of Jesus and prior to that as the people of God were moving from uh, the, the Egyptian slavery back into uh, God's favor as they go into the promised land. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 18, uh, we hear in verse 21 and then following in verse 24 and 25 these words, do not give, this is God's instruction for God's people, as though this was necessary to give, because it was necessary to give. Hear this. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech. Molech is a god of, uh, of the, the people who lived in the promised land that they were entering into. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of God, I am the Lord. It would be profaning the name of God to sacrifice your children. And then in verse 24, it summarizes all that precedes it, and it says, uh, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. The people in the promised land before God's, God's chosen people, before the Israelites got there, were sacrificing their kids. And then even the land was, uh, was defiled, so I punished them for their sin, and the land is going to be vomited out, even its inhabitants. You see, 
God knew that whenever the people, God's people, entered into the promised land, they were going to be tempted to conform to the patterns of the society around them. And that society was practicing human sacrifice, and God abhors human sacrifice. And so uh, we then see that what God knew was possible did indeed happen in both Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. We hear the prophets speaking on uh, the word of the Lord where they say, You practiced sacrifice to gods that were not me, and so this is why this great tribulation is coming upon you. Human sacrifice is abhorrent to God. The people of God were tempted to participate in it, and they uh, were punished for it. This is a major, major sin. And so now we come to, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Two things here. One the human sacrifice that was practiced in, in that day was, in, was not for us, but it was for the God, as though God needed that. And here we have clarity that what Jesus did was for us, not for God. It was for us. It was not for God. God doesn't desire human sacrifice. God desires his creation to be in right relationship with him. And then secondly, and here's the key, this, this comes to us from Jesus' own words in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 18. John, chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus uh, articulates what, uh, what difference this was, that this was not him being sacrificed, but this was his free will choice He said, no one takes my life from me. Jesus said this. No one takes my life from me. And and that's helpful clarity for us because we could think, oh, these rotten, evil, hateful Jewish folks that that just didn't want to accept Jesus or these oppressive Romans who, who as an empire came and crucified. No, it's not about the Jews. It's not about the Romans. This was Jesus's offering no one he says Jesus says no one can take my life from me but I lay my life down on my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to pick it up I Jesus says have the authority to make this a personal offering and now we could put this in a totally different frame of reference no one forced Jesus to do this in fact, we, we see in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus, with tears running down his face, knowing that the cup before him is to be crucified, he wonders if there is another way. And then in the end, he just asks that this restoration plan, this saving plan for the world would be fulfilled, and he offered himself in this way. Jesus laid his life down for us. He is the model of love for us. And it even goes as far in First John as to say in the second half of verse 16, I hope you heard this because this is like a, a baffling uh, 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 clarification for us about love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That this is our modeling of love after we witness Jesus' love. And that's how we know what love is. 
I mean, you probably know this, this love for your kids, this love for your spouse, this love for your friends, this love that transcends, this love that is more valuable than your own life, and you would be willing, you you would make a free will offering to save someone else's life and give up your own. That's that full-range modeling of what Jesus did and what we would do. But I love how, how John just doesn't leave us hanging there because not all of us are given uh, that one-to-one correlation moment in life where we are given the opportunity, hey, Lauren, my wife is in danger and I step in front and take it for her. We're not often uh, faced with that. So what do we do save that grand gesture? Just because our heart has that model of love doesn't mean we're given that opportunity. So Jesus, uh, Jesus uh, gives us more than just his uh, his life being sacrificed, he also gives us all his works of charity and good for the world. And he says, I've modeled this as well, and you could do this. I hope that you heard that. It it continues on. If you have material possession and you see someone in need, uh, but you don't have pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? If you have the opportunity to help someone else, your heart is in the love of God dwelling in you, responds. Responds. There, there's a word here that, that, that is so poorly translated, I can't help it. I don't, uh, I, I don't often turn to the Greek, uh, but, uh, but we're going to do it today, and you're going to practice with me. We're, the word's going to be up on the screen. So that word pity is a summary of three words that does not really get it. It's kalisi ta splanka. All right, you're going to say it. You ready? Kalisi ta splanka. All right, Kalisi ta splanka means that your, your heart would be closed up. That your heart would be closed off to them. So, so the point of this is, is God is saying, hey, if, if the love of God lives in you, if the Spirit of God has come upon you, if you've experienced a relationship with Jesus that has given you that salvation, then when you see someone in need, your heart is open to them. But if you want to test how is your relationship with Jesus going, if you see someone in need and your heart is closed off to them, then it's time for you to to seek the Lord afresh, again, to renew your conviction and engage with the Scriptures. And this is is hard because here's the deal. Sometimes we we, we get so caught up in, in different agendas that we fail to see how God is clearly inviting us to love and care for our neighbors. We could think about uh, agendas and, and political beliefs around immigration. And then when we see the immigrant, we could fail to, to offer help and love. We could miss the point. You see, Jesus is, is inviting us here to, to see the immigrant and have our hearts opened to them. Our hearts to see the homeless and have our hearts open to them. And sure, we could have ideas about what to do about homelessness, but that is different than what does your heart do when you see someone who is homeless? Our hearts, as a reflection of God's love for the world, break open for the world. When you see someone in need, let your heart break 
And then in your capacity, offer what you have, what you are able to give to them. This is part of our practice. The scripture says this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid his life down for us. This is how we know what love is. As our hearts break for the world around us and we offer what we have to the world. Let us practice love so that if the opportunity came, we would be ready to follow that model that Jesus laid before us, offering our very lives for our friends. Let's pray together. Almighty God, let our hearts not be closed off. It can be so tempting, so simple, so easy to have a hardened heart, to see needs and to hoard, to see needs, and to feel overwhelmed. But Lord, that is not who you call us to be. That is not the model that you laid before us in the very nature of your son, Jesus, who sacrificed it all. So Lord, invite us into that sacrificing love for your world. Lord, you truly are the great model for our lives. Help us to live into that faithfully. Lord, as we enter into this time of offering, as we uh, continue in worship and offer a portion of what you have blessed us with to the kingdom-building work of your church, Lord, we ask that you would bless these gifts, that you would bless the givers as well, that all that is done in this space and time would be for your glory. We pray this, Almighty God, in Jesus' name. Amen. With us.